Good morning. It's glad to, I'm glad that you're here. It's an honor to be here. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Pastor Pete. I'm the youth pastor here at the Gateway Church, and I am filling in for Pastor Ben. And uh, I know that Pastor Ben was a little disappointed, to, for lack of a better word, that he wasn't able to be here today because last week we launched a brand new series in John, the Gospel of John, and it was awesome. And I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week and you missed Pastor's introduction into this new series that we're in, I want to encourage you to go online. The message is on there. You can hear it, follow along. You'll be blessed and encouraged. Pastor did a great job. And, uh, you know, John is just such a powerful book. And uh, there's so much truth. It's very complex, and it's it's an amazing book. But um, Pastor couldn't be here today because his grandma has passed away. And, uh, yeah, that's it's really sad. And if anybody knows Pastor Ben and has been here for a time, they'll know that Pastor Ben loves his grandma. I You know, the summer, like, mama's boys and daddy's boys. I think Pastor Ben was a grandma's boy. And uh, he talks very fondly of her. And uh, she was the one who uh, led him to the Lord at a young age and got a Bible and laid out the Romans road. And so, you know, it's really important that he, you know, obviously that he, you want to be there when your grandma passes. She lives in Florida. That's where he is. He'll be coming home tonight. And uh, so we'll be praying for them and their family family in their time of loss. She's a believer, so it's a celebration, but also, you know, you just miss them because you love them, right? And uh, so pray for them as they kind of go through that series of emotions, and uh, I know that that'll be a blessing to them. But I am going to pick up where Pastor Ben left off in the Gospel of John. I'm really excited that I get to do that, um, just believing that God's going to do some great things. And, and just to do a quick recap of last week, in case you missed it, it was uh, New Year's Eve, and so I understand many of you were tired from hanging out all night, but welcome back. We're glad that you're here. You made it. And uh, so I just want to pick up where we left off, kind of just recap what we covered last week. And uh, we, we discussed, you know, that the Apostle John is the author of this book and that he wrote it for a very specific purpose. Um, and I'd like to kind of highlight that purpose in John 20. He kind of um, says, hey, this is the reason why I wrote this book. It's kind of cool. Like when, when Pastor said flip there last week, I flipped there and, and the, the, you know, the heading was the purpose of this gospel. That's great. That makes sense. And uh, so let's read it together. And uh, we want to let this truth sink into our heart that this is why the Apostle John wrote this book. In, in verse 30, it says this, uh, John 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Why? He tells you, he says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that is really the main purpose for why this gospel was written. And uh, John, he uses a couple of different things to kind of make this point, especially in the beginning of this chapter. He kind of uses two main points right off the bat in the beginning, um, one of which is the creation account in John, um, that Jesus was with God and was God, and uh, through him all things were made and the word became flesh, because it's important for us to realize that Jesus didn't enter the scene at the nativity, amen? He was... He was, uh, he predates all of us. He predates the world. He is part of the Godhead and was present. And John is kind of giving us this, this account to prove who Jesus was, the Christ, and saying, look, he was there at the very beginning, that the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him no things were made. That's Jesus Jesus is God. And so he's giving this the creation account uh, 
about who Jesus was to kind of say, to, to give us revelation, right? So we know that Christ was there in the beginning. He was giving us this account. And then the second thing he used to kind of uh, create this case of who Jesus was was the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, was uh, an amazing character. I don't know about you, but I've always been fascinated by John the Baptist, even as a kid. He just, he's an interesting character. Camel hair, locust and honey. He's in the desert, and uh, he's, you know, baptizing people. And, and it was cool. He's just a cool character. And uh, if you, you know, read the Gospels of John, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you read all the Gospels, we kind of get a picture of who John the Baptist was. And we see that his life was, you know, intertwined with Jesus, especially at the beginning, because uh, John the Baptist was meant to be a herald. Uh, we know that uh, John's parents, John the Baptist's parents, were Jesus' aunt and uncle. Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins, which is interesting. Um, John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus, roughly, and that both were, were what I would call miracle babies. Um, his mother, Elizabeth, was considered to be barren, John the Baptist's mom. She was considered to be barren. She couldn't have children in her old age. His father, Zacharias, was a priest in the temple. And uh, both Jesus and John's births or conceptions were preceded. They, uh, their parents were visited by angels. We studied that on you know, Christmas as we celebrate. We just got done celebrating Christmas and highlighting that story. And, uh, you know, both of their parents were visited by angels and the, the, just a prophecy of their birth and who they would be was there. And uh, Zacharias was in, in the temple burning incense with the procession of priests outside. He was in the Holy of Holies burning incense. And an angel appeared to John the Baptist's father and said, you're going to have a son. And this is what he's going to be. Let's look at it in Luke 117. Um, I'm just going to read it real fast so don't feel like you have to flip there. It's up there. Um, Luke 1, 17, this is what the angel told his father Zacharias about John the Baptist. It says that he will go before the Lord. So he's going to be before the Lord in spirit and the power of Elijah to turn hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that was really John the Baptist's call was to be like a herald for Jesus. And if you don't know what a herald is, it's like imagine the king's kind of coming and he has this whole procession before. How many of you have seen Aladdin? Make way, <laughs> right? So the genie's kind of dancing around and singing Prince Ali, and he's jumping around. There's all this stuff going around. That was kind of like John the Baptist's role. He was to, to say, make way for the king. Here comes the king. He is coming. Jesus is here. He is coming. And that was his role, his life's call. You know, from the very beginning, and even when Mary visited his, um, his mother, Elizabeth, like the baby jumped in the womb when he heard Mary's voice because of the calling that he was to go before the Lord and prepare the people for the coming of Jesus. That's why he baptized them. That's the message that he had. And so he was going before Jesus, and he makes this amazing confession of who Jesus was. He kind of calls out, look, here's the king. And that's kind of where we left off last week with Pastor Ben was in the end of 1 John um, verse 29. And so I want to read that again, just kind of revisit, and then we're going to move on from there and study and see what Jesus does, and it's, it's really cool. But let's look at John the Baptist's testimony. Let's look at John 129 together, and uh, we're going to read it, and then we'll go from there. So 1 John, or not 1 John, John the Gospel, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, uh, John the Baptist tes testifies about Jesus. The next day, uh, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is, was that he might be revealed to Israel. He says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John the Baptist makes this great testimony about who Jesus is. And that's kind of where we left off. And today we want to pick up, pick up in verse 35 and uh, see Jesus. He's going to kind of launch his earthly ministry. And he's going to begin to recruit his ministry team, which is really cool. And uh, before we study that, um, you know, study this out, I just can't help but notice that Jesus had a group of guys, a posse, a group of people he did life with. He supped with them. He lived with them. They did ministry together. And uh, I just can't help but notice that and think of, like, that's how our lives should look like, too. We need to be a community of believers. We need to have our own people that we sup with and hang out with and we're apart and we do life together because God, Jesus is our example, right? He's in our example. So as G if Jesus had 12, you know, we should have a few at least that we're doing life with, doing ministry with. Amen. Maybe even a connect group. Oh, oh, oh. Shameless plug. Um, so, you know, that's just, just an amazing thing about Jesus that we want to reflect and, and, and be a part like that. And so that's really cool. I thought that's worth mentioning. And, and uh, so there's a free one. That's not really what I'm preaching on, but. It's good. All right, so today let's pick up in, in verse 35. We're going to see him. And as we look through, I want you to notice that Jesus is going to be recruiting five disciples in this text that we're going to study, the first five. And it's amazing, and I want you to notice the manner in which he reaches them or how they came to Christ. I want you to see that Christ knew them and knew all kinds of good stuff about them and just see the different things that he said, the insights that he given. That's kind of what we're going to be studying today, and so I'm really excited to do that. But before we read John 1.35, let's pray. Does that sound good? It's always a good place to start. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Apostle John gave us an eyewitness account so that we may know who Jesus is, know what he, what he did and how he lived his life, that we would get some insight into who you are. God, that uh, this truth would unlock, the, uh, you know, just the kingdom of heaven for us and, and that we would find salvation in Jesus. Help us today as we study. Lord, meet us, and we give you praise. Amen. Amen. All right. And so normally what I would do in uh, a setting like this is I would take the uh, we're going to do like expository preaching. This is, uh, you know, really powerful. I really love it. It kind of makes scripture the, the star of the show, which, you know, is appropriate. Well, Jesus is a star, but he is a word. So it makes sense. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes scripture the star of the show. But normally what I would do is I would like kind of read through the the chosen text, and then I'd go back through and we'd kind of dissect it. Today, I'm going to try something different. I thought first service it went okay, so I'm going to roll with it again, is I'm going to kind of like read a little bit, and then we're going to study it, read a little bit, and study it, read a little bit, and study it, so that way you're not like getting repetitiveness, right? All right, cool. We're going to try it. Let's see what happens. Lord, 
All right. So John uh, 1.35 says the next day, okay, and so this is the next day after John made the first confession. So he's, there's Jesus. He's there to take away the sins of the world. You know, he kind of makes this confession the very next day. John was there again with two of his disciples. How many? Okay, that's important. Two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, it's the Lamb of God. It was almost as if he paused and turned to the two that were with him and says, look, it's the Lamb of God. Don't follow me. There's Jesus. You know, John wanted to decrease and let Jesus increase. He's saying, look, there's Jesus. Turned to his disciples. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> you know, we're like, oh, that's cool. There's a son of God there. Cool. Now what? No, like, he was like, look, there he is. There's Jesus. And so what do these two guys do instead of just, you know, kind of like, uh, shrugging their shoulders? They were like, their teacher, rabbi, saying, look, my life is to precede them and to, and to create and prepare everybody for this coming Messiah. Like, this is the Christ. That's like, that's pretty heavy stuff. And so these two disciples, when they heard him in verse 37, when the two disciples heard John the Baptist said this, what'd they do? They followed him, right? I think that's pretty appropriate. <laughs> the God in the flesh on the world, like, you'd want to follow him. I would. I would hope I would, you know, like. So, but they didn't, like, run right up to him and engage him. I, I think, you know, like, as we read this, that the disciples, these two disciples of John heard his confession. They, uh, John was kind of preaching and said, you know, look, there's the Lamb of God. And so they left John, and they started to follow Jesus. But I, they were a little reluctant. You know, they didn't go right up to him right away. They were kind of, like, hanging back and trying to see what he was going to do and try to hear the words he was saying. And they're, like, you know, kind of, like, meekly reluctantly following jesus and so what did jesus do what jesus did was is he turned around and he said this 38 he says turning around jesus saw them following him following him and asked what do you want right they weren't sure they were interested they were drawn but they weren't sure they knew the testimony and so they're following jesus and jesus says you know, what do you want? You can read this and be like, well, what do you want? Like, that wasn't the tone and the manner of which this question was proposed. It was more like some translations say, what do you seek? What are you seeking? What are you hoping to find when you follow Jesus? And I think we can ask ourselves that same question. Because Jesus, when you study Jesus and you study his life, you see that Jesus had a divine knowledge of who people were and what was in their heart. He already knew. And so when he poses a question uh, like, what do you want? We know that it was more for their benefit, for, the, for his, because he knows. We see it in, uh, you know, in Peter in just a moment. We're going to see it in Nathaniel and Philip. We're going to see that Jesus had a divine knowledge of who they were and what was in their heart. We see it with Jesus and with the woman at, at the well, the Samaritan woman. He knew who she was. He knew how many times she had married and remarried. He knew that what she was doing and what was happening in her life right then. Jesus knew. He knew. He had a divine knowledge because he was God of who we are. 
And it was the same with these two people. And so when he posed the question, hey, what are you seeking? It wasn't for Jesus' benefit because he didn't know. It was more for the disciples for them to ask themselves. And I think it was almost as if it was a rhetorical question because if we notice, the disciples never answered the question. They never did. They don't answer that question of what are they seeking. You know, Jesus, I think for them, it was more of what are you hoping to find if you follow me? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it wealth? Is it influence? Is it because John said it? What, what are you hoping to find? Because what Jesus has to offer us is totally different than what people would find in the world. So much better. But Jesus is only concerned with that which is spirit. He's not going to give them the kind of fame that others seek in the world. You know, that we know their names today because of God used them so greatly. But that's not Jesus' main concern. Jesus' main concern was he came to lay his life down and to redeem mankind back to God. And Jesus' only concern is spirit. Now, there's blessings in this life when you follow Jesus. If you are blessed, don't feel like you're out of the will of God. There's blessings available to you, but that's not God's main concern for your life. His main concern is that which is eternal, that which is spirit, that which will not pass away. That's God's main concern. He's always speaking about spiritual things. And people are trying to run it through the filter of earthly things, and it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense if you're using your earthly filter. But if you think eternally of the things of God, the things that are forever, then it makes perfect sense, right? And that's Jesus' main concern. And he was saying, hey, if you follow me, Make sure you're not expecting earthly things because what I'm offering you is going to be of spirit and in truth and it is not of this world. And he's offering a way to God through himself and through the sacrifice that he's made. So he poses that question to the disciples. And I think we could ask ourselves the same thing. Why do we follow Jesus? What am I following Christ for? Am I seeking just the blessings that come because I know that, you know, God blesses his children and he loves him? Is that why I'm seeking him? I think that would be a false reason to follow Christ, right? Am I following Jesus because of the prestige of people like, I want adoration. I want to be the loudest in the prayer meeting. I want to be noticed. Is that why I'm a Christ follower? Is it just because I don't want to go to hell? I don't, I follow Jesus as a, as a fail safe because I don't want to burn in hell if that's real. Also, not a good reason to follow Jesus. You follow Jesus because he is Christ, the Son of God, and he is eternal. So we've got to ask ourselves the same question. And he poses that to the disciples in you know, we don't know every instance of why, but I think that's definitely one because we know who Jesus is. And so we want to ask ourselves that. But they answered him. So let's, let's pick up back in our story, see what they did. They didn't answer that question. They just said this. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They wanted to know where he was staying. And Christ says this in verse 39. Come, he replied, and you will see. <sighs> that blows my mind. <laughs> 
that response. Come and you will see that at that time and in, in that place, Jesus had a place where he was hanging out with, whether it was for a while or for that night or for a time. But these reluctant disciples were curious. They wanted to follow Jesus. They knew that their teacher said that this is Christ the King, and they were following him. And Jesus turned to them and engaged them and says, what are you seeking? I'm going to give you something much better than the world can give you. And they said, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And that same invitation is available to us today that Christ is saying, come. He's saying, come. Come and see. It reminds me of a, a verse, Psalm 34, 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. God is saying, look, if you're interested in me, if you, um, you know, are curious about me, if you want to know me, come, come. Come and see. You'll see that my ways are good. You'll see that I am the king. Come and see. And he gives us that open invitation that's for all of us to come and see him and to sup with him and to dwell where he dwells. Isn't that awesome? That's an invitation that's available to us. And he says, come to them. So they, so they went. Let's pick back up. So they went and saw where he was staying. That would have been so cool. And they spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon, which is kind of neat. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what Jesus had said and had followed Jesus. He said he was one of the two. Now, who is this other mystery apostle, this other, you know, follower of John? Who was it? We know that one was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. But who's the, the second one? There's two with John, they left to go follow Jesus. One was Andrew. The other one was the Apostle John. John, in his gospel, never refers to himself by name. He never highlighted himself in such a way that it brought glory to himself because his purpose in writing this book was to give an eyewitness account, which is very important. We see that even in his account as he's writing this, and he's, he's saying, you know, it was about four in the afternoon. He's remembering and recalling the exact hour in which he was with Jesus, when he sat with him and learned from him and had communion with him. We and John are getting an eyewitness account of all the things that had happened. And that's important to know. John, the Apostle John, was once a follower of John the Baptist. He was taught by him and prepared by him for Jesus. Same with Andrew. And the second was Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, right? And uh, they, they went and stayed with him and they followed Jesus, which was really cool. And uh, so what, did, what was the first thing that Andrew did? He went and found his brother Simon, right? But I want you to notice before we study uh, what happens with Simon that, that both John, the Apostle John who wrote this book, and Andrew were reached and led to Jesus through the ministry of a preacher. Okay? Now, I know that all the hands aren't going to go up in this room. I'm going to do an experiment. This is interesting to me. It's going to be interesting. Um, please participate if it relates to you. If Don't put your hand up just to put your hand up. But if it relates to you, put your hand up. How many of you in this room were one to Christ or met Christ or led to Jesus through the ministry of a preacher? How many in this room? A lot of hands. God uses preachers. God uses ministries. A lot of people are one to Christ through that, and that's awesome. But not every hand was up. That's not the only way. Definitely not the only way, but it is a way. 
you know, God uses preachers. It's, it's cool. It's interesting that that's how they were first, and then the invitation of Jesus, and then they became his followers. It's really neat, okay? But the first thing Andrew did is Andrew went and find his brother Simon to tell him, and he makes, this is Andrew's confession about who God is. We see it right in the text. That he makes a confession about who Jesus is. He says, we have found the Messiah, the Christ, which is really neat. And, and uh, he brought his brother to Jesus. So if one way is through a preacher, very definitely another way would be through a family member. Right? Another show of hands. How many of you were led to Christ through a family member? Look at all the hands that are up. I'd say almost as much. Pretty powerful. And so we don't want to underestimate our influence in our family's lives through our testimony about who God is and what he has done how powerful that is. Pastor Ben led to his, uh, led to Jesus through his grandma. Interesting. That's another way that Christ reaches people, and that's really cool, and I wanted to highlight that. So he makes his confession, and he brings uh, Simon to Jesus. He says, come, we have found the Messiah. And Jesus, what happens? Jesus looked at him, you know, as he's coming, and He's, he's being brought by Andrew. He says, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is translated to Peter. Now, Peter is an interesting character. I like Peter because I'm like Peter. Not just because my name is Peter, but because I'm crazy, okay? Peter was a crazy dude. Peter, uh, many commentators, I've heard uh, two, at least two different commentators describe Peter as he was as weak as water, wishy-washy, all over the place. He was like a, a roller coaster of emotions, kind of like a train wreck kind of guy. He was crazy. He was up one day and down the next. That was Peter. And I can relate to that. I, I'm kind of like Peter. I'm always sticking my foot in my mouth. It's delicious. Not really. In fact, it's not delicious. <laughs> um, but he was always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter was, and I can relate to that. And Jesus, knowing who Peter was, knowing what was in his heart, comes in contact with Peter and says, you are Simon, son of John. I know you, but I'm going to call you Cephas. You are a rock. And we know that Cephas transla uh, translates into rock or little rock or piece of rock or a pebble. Like, his, he was a rock, man. And Jesus is saying, look, I know who you are, but this is who you're going to be. Right? Notice that at this point, a lot of people think he got his name uh, Little Rock or Cephas when he makes, you know, later on in the story when he makes his great confession of Christ when, when they're saying, uh, who do you say I am? And some say you're Elijah and some say you're this. And Jesus, or Peter stands up and said, no, you are Christ, the living son of God. And Jesus looks at him and goes, exactly, you are Barjona, you're, you're Cephas, I'm going to give you the keys to unlock heaven. And, uh, you know, so he makes his great confession. We think, well, that's how he got his name. No, G he got his name Cephas at the beginning. Because Christ knew who he was and what he was going to turn him into, okay? But Peter, he's still, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Right after he makes that great confession later on in the story, he sticks his foot in his mouth. Jesus says, but, uh, you know, the Son of Man is going to die, and he's going to rise again in three days. And Peter says, not you, Lord. You're not going to die. I won't let it. He's like, depart from me. Say, say, get me. Get behind me, Satan. Because your mind is on things of this world, which we know Jesus' main concern isn't. He's like, but my mind is on the things that are eternal, the things of God. And so Peter kind of sticks his foot in his mouth. We see him stick his foot in his mouth when uh, Jesus, you know, wraps uh, the towel around his waist and he's washing the disciples' feet. And Peter thinks he's going he's gonna to one-up his buddies, okay? He's like, oh, Jesus, 
you can't wash my feet. Not me. I'm not holy. You know, he was being holy by not being holy. You can't wash my feet. And what did, what did Jesus turn around and say to him? He said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in the kingdom. No part with me. Okay, then, wash my head and my feet and my whole body and drench me. Lord, you can do this. Wishy-washy. Back and forth. Draw a sword. Cuts the dude's ear off in the garden. And Jesus says, whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword. This is Peter. And I can identify with Peter. I have some character flaws. And those of you who know me have seen some of my flaws. I'm not perfect. I'm a crazy dude, and so I like Peter. And I like that Jesus looked at him and says, hey, wishy-washy man, you're going to be the rock, man. Pound it. You're going to be the rock. Because Christ was going to call that out of Peter in his ministry. Beautiful, isn't it? That Christ is going to see past your faults into what you can be and call that potential out of you and use you mightily. Even though I'm crazy, God still wants to use me. Praise Jesus. Okay, that's good news. Good news for me and for somebody else in this place. Amen. Let's move on. Thank you, Lord. Let's, uh, let's move on from there. And then the next day, so after uh, he, you know, meets Simon and names him Peter, the next day after that, they uh, decided to leave Galilee and found Philip and said to him, follow me. Not a lot is said about poor Philip. <laughs> Not many words, just that Jesus found him and called him. Now, how many of you in here Maybe one of the ways that Christ, uh, you know, reached you was just, you just had something, and you knew God was calling you. You decided to read God's Word. You decided to ask questions and ended up giving your life to Christ. How many of you kind of found the Lord that way? A couple, yeah. Not as many, but it does happen. Think of Paul. He wasn't looking for nothing. Quit messing with my people, you know. And uh, God moves that way. Like sometimes I, I know people, I have friends who are like, yeah, I, I was just curious. I knew like evolution and I knew the, crea- you know, the Christian thing. So I just, I read the whole Bible in a week. <laughs> I just sat down and I read it and decided to give my life to Jesus. That can happen. God can do that. And that's one of the ways people come to Jesus is he just calls them. He just reveals himself to him. He says, come and follow me. And that's, that's kind of Philip's story. We don't know a lot about Philip in this text right here, but we know that as soon as Christ called him and activated him, that he immediately jumped into action. Because in verse 45, we know that Philip found Nathaniel. Nathaniel told him, this is, this is Philip's confession of Christ. And who he was. Let's look at it. He says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, we can learn two things from that. That both Philip and Nathaniel knew the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah and what was going to happen. And we knew that they were waiting for it. So these were, you know, Israelites, like Jewish people. They knew it. They understood it. And they were saying, look, this is the one all this prophecy surrounds. This is, this is who we've been waiting for. This is Jesus, okay? Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And what did, uh, 
what did Nathaniel say? He said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? You know, Nathaniel, he's kind of like a pessimistic type guy. You know, he was always kind of calculating things. I like to think of him as like an intellectual kind of dude. He was a doubter. He was a doubter. And, um, you know, that's kind of who he was. He was just like, it was just kind of the kind of mind that he had. I, like, I understand. Him. Pastor Bobby, you could be a Nathaniel. You're like an intellectual, like calculating the, the stuff. And I'm like Peter, like, yeah, woo, let's do it. And that's just, that's who we are. You know, that's how God made us. And not, one's not better than the other. It's just, you know, our characteristics. And we see that in Nathaniel, you know, when Jesus was multi multiplying the loaves and the fishes, we see that, you know, Nathaniel was one of the ones that stood up and was like, that's not enough to feed all these people. You would need this, you know, and he gave the calculations of how much they would need. And, um, you know, that was, that was Nathaniel. So he was like, that's kind of like his, his like presetting, you know, who he was. He was, that was just his, the way he was. And so when he heard Jesus of Nazareth, of course, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's a small, uninfluential town. That's not that important. How could the Messiah come from there? I just don't think. And so what did Philip say? Philip just kind of gave him the same invitation that Jesus gave the first two disciples that were with John and simply said, dude, don't take my word for it. Come and see. Reached out to his friend. Just, just, just come and see. That will clear up your skepticism. And uh, so he did. He was like, okay, I'll check this out. I'll see if this really is Jesus. And he went to go find out if this is really Jesus. And that was his way that God made him. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. What a curious phrase by Jesus. I mean, it would be flattering, like, okay, thanks. I am an honest guy. Right back at you, Jesus. You know, like, that's flattering. It was, a, it was a good statement. But Jesus makes it and had a profound meaning behind it, of course, right? Of course Jesus meant something profound by it because he's Jesus. That's what he does. He's, he's a very... He's the son of God, anyway. Uh, no, no, um, so it was a curious uh, statement, and he acknowledged Nathaniel as being a true seed of Abraham, an Israelite, somebody who knew the scriptures. He was like, not just like nationality, but he was like spiritually a seed of Abraham, which is important. And so when he sees him coming, of course, Jesus Knowing, having a divine knowledge of this man and what was in his heart, caught, you know, looks at him. He knew him and says, look, an Israelite, and this guy is honest. Woo! Like, that's amazing. Because in that time, that was the exception and not the rule regarding a lot of the Israelites. And, and in just a moment, as we move further along in the text, Jesus ends this, this chapter with giving an illustration of Jacob's ladder, right? Jacob's ladder, where he had a vision of angels ascending and descending into heaven, and it was this glorious thing, this glorious picture. But does anybody in here know the story of Jacob? Jacob was a sneaky little snake. He was a slippery little dude. He was. 
He was. He, you know where, what Jacob was doing when he had that vision of seeing the ladder into heaven? He was fleeing from his brother Esau after he had just sneakily stole his blessing. He put goat skins on his arms and, and did this whole elaborate James Bond scheme to fool his dying blind father that he was Esau and got the blessing for himself. And then Esau was so mad he was going to kill Jacob. And so he was fleeing from Esau to go to his uncle Laban's house where he would do some more crazy stuff like read Jacob's story we're not gonna it's crazy okay and so this is Jacob who would later become Israel this is the father right of the Israelites kind of so to speak we know Abraham and then on down the line but um, you know this is what he was doing and he was fleeing this and that's when God gave him this vision of the ladder going up and down and that's how Christ will end this text we'll see it in verse 51 but he was saying you Nathaniel you, you are not like that. You are not sneaky. You are not deceitful. You are not like Jacob. You are an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, a trustworthy man. Kind of cool. And instead of looking at Jesus and saying, well, thanks, Jesus, high five. Like, that's pretty cool. I would, I would have taken that to the bank all day long, patted myself on the back. But what he does is he, instead of doing that, being the skeptic, critical man that he was, he looked at Jesus, says, how do you know me? You don't know me. How do you know me? You know, that's, I mean, he said that to Jesus. He might have said it nicer than that, but I like to think, it's like, how do you know me? Okay, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him. This is awesome. He says, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip even called you. And then Nathaniel's mind just went, Trying, trying to, like, come up with the calculations. Okay, he must have been in the bushes behind the tree, and then he could have saw me under the tree, and then, no, like, nobody saw me. That's not possible. You could have not have seen me under the tree. Ain't nobody saw me under the tree. He, he, we don't know what he was doing. He could have been sinning. He could have been crying out to God. He could have been, you know, making paper mache. We don't know. But Jesus, re regardless of what he was doing, saw him before Philip even called him. That's pretty amazing. And that just blew his mind. He was just like, does not compute. And, and then so he, it causes him to react like this crazy way. And he declares, and we see Philip's, or uh, Nathaniel's great confession of who Christ is. And let's read it in verse 49. Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And he makes this great declaration of who Jesus is. Pretty powerful. And what we, what we know is Jesus, he knew him. He didn't need Philip to tell, you, tell him, like, hey, this is, my, this is my brother, this is my friend Nathaniel. But, you know, he was won by a friend. How many in here, a friend, cared enough about you to introduce you to Jesus? Yeah, look at the hands. Isn't that amazing? God reaches us all in different ways. Based on our preset, presetting of our character, he cares enough to reach people in different ways. It's so cool. And that's how he was reached. And so he became a follower, and he declares and, and makes this great confession about who Christ is. But Christ looked at him and said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. And it was as if Jesus was telling him, look, yeah, I have divine knowledge. 
just wait. Wait and see what I'm going to do. Come and see. I've got so much more that I want to do than tell you what's in your heart. It's like, yeah, I know, but I've got so much more that we're going to do, and it's going to be exciting. And how many know serving God is exciting? It is, it is the best and most exciting way to live your life. It's not always the easiest, but it's very exciting. It's always an adventure. God always has something he wants to show you because salvation is only the beginning. It is not the, the crescendo. It's not the end. It's not like, there, this is it, say, boom, we're done. Hallelujah. No, God has so much more he wants to show you. So much more he wants to do. And he's saying, just wait. Yes, you just got saved, but guess what we're going to do now? It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. And God wants to extend that to you. And just because he knew that, and it, all his earthly ministry, everything he was doing, everything he was going to show Nathaniel and the other, dis, the other disciples, all the, the things that he's going to do is building up to the great reveal, which is he was there. His purpose on earth was to die on the cross to shed his blood and redeem mankind to himself. Where do you see that? That's going to be an amazing event to behold. A little bloody, but it's awesome. You know, and that's, that's what he was saying. Just wait, just wait. It's going to be amazing. And then he closes it out and we reference. He says, then he then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What I like about this is this is Jesus' revelation of himself to his apostles. You know that he, um, you know, was referencing Jacob and in, in the vision that he had. And the thing that strikes me and is amazing is God was revealing to Jacob in that moment through the vision of the ladder of the angels ascending and descending. He was revealing to him that even though you're like running and doing all this crazy stuff, I am with you. I am with you. And that was a sign to Jacob that God was with him and he was going to do great things in his life. And that's amazing. But Jesus says, now get this, guys. Just as God was with Jacob when he was running, he says, I'm that ladder. He starts revealing himself. I am the ladder that the angels ascend to descend. I'm the way to God. And he reveals himself as the way to heaven. And you will see this, and he starts revealing this to these guys. And you can imagine, especially to the guys who knew Scripture, Nathaniel and Philip, that they would have gotten that, and, and it just would have been a beautiful picture, a, a revelation of who Christ is. He's revealing them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets through heaven except through me. And you will see that I have authority over angels and demons and, and heaven and earth. And, and I can, the ministers would come, or the angels would come down and minister to him, and he would send them back and forth to heaven as messengers. And, and he had control of it all, and he was the latter. He was the way that all of us could have access to God. That was Jesus this revelation of himself to man. And the Apostle John would have been there and have heard this and recorded this, that Jesus was confessing this about himself. Isn't that beautiful? That is so beautiful, and it's, it really is encouraging. <sighs> so we get to the now what portion. I've read you my text. We've discussed it. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come up and join me. Because I want to ask a couple questions. We always got to ask ourselves, what do we do with this? What do we do with this truth, this text, this revelation? What does this mean to us? We got to be students. 
It means something. It's recorded for a purpose, right? We know that the first purpose is to reveal who God was. And so the Apostle John, through his, his writing, was revealing who he was. Really cool. But there's also some other truths that we can pull out. And the first truth that I want to talk about today, the number one thing, is, is the invitation that he, he put out in the beginning to the first two disciples and that Philip put out to, to Nathaniel. He's saying, come, come and see. See, I look out over this crowd, and I know many of you, and I don't know a few of you, but I want you to know that that invitation is for you right now. No matter Christian or just reluctantly checking things out, that Christ is calling you. And Christ is saying, look, come and see. Come and see all the great things I have. I'd say that'd be our first takeaway. And before we move forward, before we go any farther, I got three more things I want to kind of talk about, but before we go any farther, I just ask, you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to say, if any, anyone in this room is seeking something, they might not understand it, they might not have all the answers, but they know there's something about Jesus, and you're kind of hanging back, trying to figure out Jesus is looking at you today and saying, come, come, my arms are open, come to me, come and see, let me in, hide from me no longer, I have pursued you, I have called you, I have thought about you, and I want to be a part of your life, I want to be your Lord. So if there's someone in this room who's ready to let Jesus in, they want to take that step and say yes to Jesus. I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand. Yeah, I see one hand in the back. Praise the Lord. Is there any others? Any others who would say yes to Jesus? I saw two young guys who have a soft heart and just wanted to say yes to the Lord. It's awesome. Can we pray with them? Let's pray with them. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, to rise again, to make a way into heaven. Come into my life. Change me. Make me whole. Forgive me for my sins and make me new. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand real quick. So that's one of the things that we can learn is Christ made a way. And he's saying, come and follow me. The second thing. The second thing is God knows you and cares for you. Nothing in your life is hidden before God. We could do our best to lie to ourselves. I'm good. 
I ain't got no problems. I'm all great. But God sees the whole picture. God knows what's in your heart. And he cares for you. And he loves you anyway. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. He knows you. He knows every detail of your life. He knows your struggles. He knows your flaws. And he sees past all that and sees value in you. So that'd be the second thing. And the third thing is no matter who you are or how you're wired, God has a plan for your life. You know, just like Peter, if he can be transformed into the rock man and turned into something beautiful, can't God do that for you? Your life is not too messed up to be used by God. You have not sinned so much that God is done with you and, and, and has no plan for you. No, God, he knows, and he has a plan for you and wants to use you. That's good news this morning, isn't it? So that's the third thing I kind of want to reflect on here in just a moment. And then the last is God just wants to have a relationship with you. He wanted it so bad, so much, that he was willing to step out of heaven into this fleshly tent and live among us to deny every temptation that we've ever faced. And he was tempted. Subject the body to pain and to abuse and to die. All because he loved you. Isn't that good news? That's how much God loves us. You know, I know we hear the gospel message a lot, hopefully. But let's not become desensitized to it. That that's how much God loves us. That's pretty incredible. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And just going back to that, come, dwell with me, sup with me, have a relationship with me. You know, a lot of us here, maybe we've been Christians for a long, long time. We know Jesus. But maybe... You know, through the busyness of life, that appointment of meeting with him has been neglected, and it's been a while. God's saying, I, I desire that above all else from you. I don't want your deeds. I don't want your works. I don't want your words. What I desire from you is a relationship. And so as we move forward, I'm going to ask the band to lead us in a song, and it's, it's all about opening up and running towards Jesus. Can we commit as a church to seek God more? Doesn't he deserve it? What would have happened if the first two disciples decided not to run after Jesus? They would have missed out on what God had for them, wouldn't they? Let's not miss out. Let's... Make that appointment a priority. So I'm going to ask all of, all of you to stand. And we're very simply just going to sing the song of declaration. We're going to press in towards Jesus. We're going to, um, you know, just praise him. And we're just going to make him the most important thing of our lives. Can we, can we all commit to do that? You know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but let's do this together. Bobby, would you lead us as we sing this song together this morning?
Jesus. Jesus. It's all about you. We love you. We worship you. We honor you. We run to you. We run to you, Jesus. We seek your face today. We seek your face today, Lord. And we want to come and we want to see and we want to have relationship with you and we want to be used by you, God. We open ourselves, God, to know that you see past our faults, see past our weakness and see potential. You see greatness and you see the purpose for which you have created us. And when we have pure hearts towards you, God, when we open up and we say yes, Lord, you do amazing things in our lives. And God, we open ourselves to that and pray your will be done in my life and on this earth as it is in heaven. And you get all the praise. You get it all. Because you turn something ugly beautiful. That's why you get the praise. So today we honor you and we worship you. And Lord, I pray that for each and every soul in this place, each and every individual, God, like the disciples, you would activate them. You would activate them. Lord, they would be a preacher to somebody. Lord, they would be that caring family member who's an example that leads someone to Jesus. Lord, I pray they'd be that friend that cares enough about their friend to introduce them to the gospel. And when they're skeptical, we say, don't worry about it, come and see. You would use us this morning, God, that we wouldn't have a blind eye to the fact that the world is condemned and dying and in need of a Savior. That that same love that moved you, that moved you, the same love for humanity that moved you to, from heaven to earth to come and to live and to, to die on that cross, that same love would be in us. And we would have that love for other people. Activate us, Lord. Activate us, God. Use us however you want to. Lord, we love you. And we believe together that 2017 for us as the Gateway Church is going to be a year of increase, but more importantly, a year of souls. A year of souls won to the Lord. We believe that is because we are willing and activated in Christ. We give you all the glory, all the praise. We pray you go before us, behind us, and all around us, God, that you would bless the households, that you would enrich each and every one of these people's lives, that you would speak to them and draw them close. And be with us throughout the week. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Have a great week. Be blessed.